Hey everyone, Leanne here. So I'm actually in Los Angeles right now recording this, but I wanted to jump in here before the episode to comment and say that this interview has been one of the most engaging episodes to date. It's also a different topic than what we normally talk about as my guest and I chat very specifically on the Ann Arbor and Detroit startup community. If you didn't already know, there's a full video version of this episode on our Facebook page, which I already released, so I'll throw down the link in the show notes, and I also actually wrote a blog post on this interview as sort of a recap plus added insight sort of thing, so feel free to check that out as well. I actually recommend watching and reading that post over watching the video by itself, but you do you. Today's guest also recently released something really cool, so stick around the end for a pleasant surprise. Also, please bear with me on the audio for this as I didn't have my normal podcast set up, which you'll see if you watch the video. As always, a huge shout out to the Ann Arbor District Library for being our recording partner in this. They're pretty awesome. All right, let's get back to it. Welcome, everybody, to the Michigan Makers Podcast with your host, Leanne, founder and CEO of Ash Media, where we interview Michigan's top entrepreneurs, investors, makers, movers, and shakers, and dive deep into why the comeback of Michigan's economy is inevitable. Today's guest has some serious street cred. A two-time graduate of the University of Michigan, he started out as a software engineer at Accenture and after realizing he wanted to become a lawyer, got his law degree, became a lawyer in the Bay Area, and now he's a venture capitalist, although he really hates that name. Currently, he serves as the managing director at Foundry Group, a venture capital firm in Boulder, Colorado, and let me tell you, they put out some hilarious music videos. Now, everybody please welcome Jason Mendelson, co-founder and managing director at Foundry Group. Okay, so I identify as a community builder. Okay. And I recently, well not even recently now, it's, it feels recently, but within the past year, I read um, Brad Feld's startup communities mm-hmm. um, and I really enjoyed it and so question is you know so if entrepreneurs are the leaders in a startup ecosystem and Brad talked about this um, how do we help the the quote-unquote feeders like come to accept the role you know where it's like they're not necessarily taking the charge or allowing the entrepreneurs to take the charge. Let me ask you, who do you consider the feeders? Because people have different definitions of that. So let's make sure we yeah. got the right definition. What's your definition yeah. of a feeder? So any, any organization that provides value to entrepreneurs. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, if you look at how most startup communities start, they really start from one or two sort of groups. They either start because there's a whole bunch of entrepreneurs who just don't ask permission and just build stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's other places where you've got these feeders of these organizations which help um, establish the ecosystem. I think in Detroit, um, you can argue that it might be one of those two. If you if you look in San, if you look in the Bay Area, for instance, those are entrepreneurs. If you mm-hmm. look in Boston, those are entrepreneurs. That was MIT. 
if you look in New York, you, you might argue there's a lot of feeders. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why Boston for a long time was unfriendly to entrepreneurial activity. Um, and the Bay Area ate its lunch. And I think Boston kind of learned its, its way and New York decided, hey, wait a minute, we could be the East Coast thing here. And mm -hmm. a lot of feeders kind of helped develop that, that, that ecosystem. I would argue in Boulder, for instance, um, it's been sort of a mix of feeders versus the entrepreneurs. The key is when you get to the end state, and the end state is a self-sustaining entrepreneurial ecosystem, as you said, the entrepreneurs have to own it. Mm -hmm. And so the entrepreneurs need to identify those feeders and those organizations that are going to work in the way that they want to work. If, I am, if I'm harsh or if I'm critical of, of Detroit, you look at sort of the first genesis of the entrepreneurial ecosystem, uh, at least this time around, probably started you know, eight to ten years ago. And it felt like the feeders, while mostly well-intentioned, wanted to own the ecosystem. If we're going to do all this work, we're going to own the ecosystem. Yeah. And there was this paternalistic attitude. And at that time, the entrepreneurs were, uh, they hadn't it developed a strong enough base to push back. And so there was a whole bunch of rockiness and clunkiness and weird stories of, you know, when I would come back here, I'd be like, what? Um, I feel like that's turns now. I feel like you, the community builders, you, the entrepreneurs now own Detroit. Mm -hmm. um, and by that, I also mean Michigan and Ann Arbor and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And it's up to, and there's multiple feeders, right? Before there was one law firm, there was one person in investing in real estate, there was mm -hmm. one this, there was two that. Now there's a whole bunch, right? There's WeWork, there's Bamboos, there's, there's nobody is beholden to any one feeder. I think the feeder relative power has decreased. So now it's up to people like you to tell the feeders what we want. And if they don't want to play that game, then you find another feeder. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you'd mentioned there, um, not just Detroit, but Michigan and Arbor. So specifically for my podcast, but anything else I do, I try and look at things from even a Midwest perspective, mm -hmm. but for now, like a statewide perspective, because mm -hmm. I actually live in Ann Arbor. I go to Detroit all the time, Grand Rapids as well. And so, you know, between the relationship with Denver and Boulder, sure. with that relationship, what do you think, what insights do you think we can apply uh, to the Ann Arbor and Detroit relationship? So I think the interesting thing about Boulder and Denver is Denver's got, I think, 900,000 people. Um, and when you, and that's just core city. When you figure the suburbs, it's you know two or three million. Um, Boulder has a hundred thousand people. Mm. And when I moved to Boulder in, in two thousand six, ninety five percent of the startup activity was in Boulder. Mm. Um, and what's happened over time is it's has has gone elsewhere. Um, Boulder is still extremely vibrant. There's more startups than you could ever want. Um, in fact, many people in Boulder say there's too many. I do not, but there are people who say that. <laughs> What's happened though, there's been this, this, this movement to Denver. Um, cheaper housing, uh, bigger space, uh, people who move in and have uh, spouses that work may have better opportunities economically in Denver because there's, it's a bigger city. The beauty of the Boulder Denver thing is there's no rivalry. Mm. And if I, you know, I lived in the Bay Area for 10 years and there were three locations there was San Francisco, Palo Alto, and San Jose. And when I was there from 97 to 2006, it was Palo Alto had, you know, sort of the arrogant view that oh, we're what's now in San Jose is the old folks, right? Those are the old entrepreneurs. And San Francisco had nothing. Um, and now you fast forward to today, it moved up. The, the, the you know, the, the age of entrepreneurs went down as cost decreased. And, you know, when you think about the great democratization of entrepreneurism is that you don't need to raise $5 million to start a company anymore. So younger people want to live in cities. They live in San Francisco. So now 
San Jose is like, I don't know what San Jose is, and Palo Alto is the old folks, and all the new mm-hmm. hip people are in San Francisco, but there is a rivalry. Mm-hmm. It's not a tough rivalry. When I look at Michigan, I actually think it's more like Los Angeles or California, Southern California. There were these turf wars between downtown LA, Santa Monica. There was, you know, I, there was a, a third, third location, I forget where, but they were vying to be the startup capital. Mm. Um, of Southern California, and mm. I was like, guys, this is stupid. You're 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 trying to divide up a pot of nothing. Yeah. Having 100% of zero is still zero. <laughs> True. And I and interestingly, it's sort of fallen now to where Santa Monica is the hub. Although there's some stuff in downtown, I've always been I've been very disappointed in the Ann Arbor Detroit rivalry. Yeah. Uh, there is a clear rivalry. It has decreased over the years, but I'll tell you. I mean, the the, the politics and the the we're, we're the startup hub. No, we're the startup hub. We're the startup hub. I believe that Ann Arbor and Detroit are close enough that yeah. you can sort of combine that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I, I'm a two-time Michigan grad. Um, spent a lot of time in, in Ann Arbor. Love the place to death. But there's, there's some arrogance there, yeah. right? We're smarter. Yeah. We're Michigan, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's also some sense of entitlement there. Whereas Detroit, I find, has very little entitlement. These people just want to work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think... Any, I don't think Detroit or Ann Arbor should care if I think they should be helping each other because especially for the state of Michigan, that's stupid because there's just not enough of a pie to, to try to split it up. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about this sort of like disillusionment where it's, it's it, we know it's, well, core people know it's not a zero-sum game, but I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, the, the perceptions speak for themselves, you know, what do you think it is about that, that you know, at least low-hanging fruit-wise, we can help to, you know, like accomplish. You know, I think my, my, if I look at it this way, the government of Detroit cares very deeply about Detroit owning this. Mm. The government of Ann Arbor doesn't really care. The University of Michigan sort of cares. Mm -hmm. Um, The university system down here sort of cares. Um, and so what you're really looking at, the two biggest stakeholders that I see as an outsider who comes here a lot is you've got the, the government and sort of the, the money in Detroit really wants to own it. And, and Ann Arbor sort of, I don't know, intellectual bureaucracy wants to own that. I think that people like you who clearly don't care about this uh, rivalry and probably don't like it, I think the best way to break a rivalry is to go hug each other. Um, you know, it's it's Mo Wagner showing up at the end of the Houston game and giving that guy a hug. Like, yeah, just yeah. don't just eat, as as nasty as they are, just hug them back. Mm-hmm. Help them when they don't ask for it. Those are what are going to break down those walls. I do believe at the end of the day that the vast majority of entrepreneurial minded people I like. Mm-hmm. I think they have good intentions yeah. and. Don't as long as you guys hug each other and help each other and don't wait to be asked and just proactively help. I think that's going to smooth out over time. And frankly, it's smooth. I mean, look, I'm looking at the ten years. It smoothed out a lot, but there's still too much. Yeah. So on that sort of note, um, you have a code of conduct, and and it is you know primarily a VC code of conduct. Sure. There are some points that aren't necessarily like sharing each other's slide decks. Yeah, that's definitely a VC thing. But. Yeah. How do we sort of mass apply a code of conduct for how we should operate? 
Well, I mean, I think it would be very, if I was going to write a code of conduct for an ecosystem, it would be very different than the code of conduct for VCs. I mean, mm -hmm. it's no secret that I don't like the vast, vast majority of VCs. I think the, you know, 80%, 70% of VCs, uh, I've had a bad week, I was going to say 90. Let's say 70% since it's being recorded. Uh, I just don't like. I don't think they're good people. I don't think their hearts are in the right place. At the end of the day, I'm nothing but a, a highly paid middleman taking my investors' capital, investing in entrepreneurs. So why I have this ego and I walk around like I'm God's gift, I don't know. Um, but, but I digress. The, the code of conduct that I wrote was particular to VCs. This is how you should act. As far as an ecosystem, I think the Techstars uh, sums it up the best. Give first. Mm -hmm. If your ecosystem has a give first mentality, that's probably the most important thing. Do no evil is probably second. Um, you know, I, you know, don't look for don't don't look for transactional relationships. So I don't I don't know if you've ever studied. If you look at startup ecosystems that are thriving, what you notice is that they're not transactional relationships. I'm not doing this because I expect anything back from you. Mm -hmm. Why am I doing this with you today? Do you know why I'm doing this with you today? No, just because you want to help. Yeah, but I, I do have some expectation for you. I don't want anything back from you. But boy, it'd be really awesome one day if I hear, hey, you helped somebody else. You helped some other team. It's basically, a, 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 it's, it's, not a, it's a centralized giving network, but it's not transactional one-on-one. -on -one. And I think if I was gonna have a code of conduct, it would be help with no expectation back. Now that doesn't mean you shouldn't expect to get back something from the ecosystem. If I help, I should have a reasonable expectation that something good is going to come out of this ecosystem. Yeah. But I don't necessarily expect it back from you. And that's to me, would be probably the third thing I would put in a code of conduct because I think that's the most powerful thing. Mm -hmm. So Steve Case has his Rise of the Rust yep. initiative. Yep. He has a sort of thesis about the Rust Belt and the Rust Belt mentality, the startup ecosystems that are growing here. So do you and what is your thesis with what is happening in the Midwest? I wouldn't say that I have a thesis of what's happening in the Midwest. I have some opinions of what's happening mm -hmm. in the Midwest. I think, I think 2008 was a beautiful thing. I think the bankruptcy of the car industry was a beautiful thing for the entrepreneurial system. I grew up here, I spent you know, the first 27 years of my life here, 25, 27, a lot of years. And I noticed that people who failed were called failures. And Midwest mentality was if you fail, you were a failure. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs fail all the time. In fact, they fail 75% of the time. If we think that somebody who fails is a failure, that's not gonna allow uh, a culture to, uh, to support entrepreneurs. The, when the car industry went dead, I noticed a remarkable change in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. That failure was now, whoa, this, this could happen to anybody. And the key is, do we get back up and keep fighting? Do we have resiliency? Resiliency was more honored than, than, than failure. Um, and I think that what we're looking at is a time where the Midwest has, you know, you've got these turn of events of, you know, manufacturing jobs decreasing and, you know, the, the, uh, certainly a lot of press about the coast and the, and the wealth creation, um, but also the negatives of not wanting to live on a coast. We live in the Midwest for a reason. And now we have a culture that supports us here because we've seen that even the biggest can fail and so it's okay, we, we, can, we can be resilient. So I think Steve and his folks are tapping on not only a, a massive culture shift that's happened since the, the, the recession, um, but also the fact that telecommunications and money and, and all that stuff's becoming fungible. 
people have decided they don't want to live in one of these startup hubs, but they still want to be part of that uh, ecosystem, which is completely fine. And I, I think my, my partner, Brad Phillips, Startup Communities, is, is, is evident in that. If you look at what we've done in Boulder, mm -hmm. which then spread to Denver, I think that's, that's evident in that as well. Yeah. So there's this sort of like Detroit versus everybody ethos. Yep. There's an Ann Arbor. Like there are these silos. And, you know, me as a community builder, we run into things like that. Right. So what do you think it is about like the human mindset that is, you know, like what lends to a zero sum mindset? I think what lends to a zero-sum mindset in, is when there's not quite enough maturity or success in your ecosystem, and so everybody feels like they don't have enough. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time. You know, if you look at you know big companies like Duo that are you know when that thing sells or goes public is radically going to change your ecosystem because you're going to have you know tens if not a hundred people with wealth that can do angel investing and break down these walls, right? And get these companies primed. Um, we're on the precipice of that. You've got, you know, firms like Ludlow, Trucks, Drive, um, that are here and on the ground all the time. You've got uh, firms from Boulder, San Francisco, my, my buddies at True Ventures who did Duo coming here. Once the mentality changes that we don't have to, that there's, there's enough to go around and it's not a zero sum game, then people will stop playing these stupid games and being siloed, right? In Boulder, everybody knows if we contribute to the ecosystem, we'll get way more back. Mm -hmm. There's no, I don't want to control any part of Boulder. In fact, every time I see a company get funded in Boulder that we didn't hear of, I'm like, excellent, this is yeah. great news, yeah. right? Like, I don't want to see every deal. I don't want to be, you know, the firm in, mm -hmm. in Colorado. I want to be an important firm in Colorado and I, I want to be seen as good people, but... Once you graduate and, you know, you, you need a 10, 20 year, uh, you know, outlook on this stuff. I feel like you guys are just on the precipice of having what's enough so that people stop saying, okay, I need to get my tiny little piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. There's just too much pie and now you just go to yeah. work. Yeah, for sure. And so let's say, for example, you have uh, one wish and the only thing is that genie that's granting that wish says it's for the Michigan, the Michigan startup ecosystem. Yeah. By Michigan, I mean the state, not the University of Michigan. Um, so what would that wish be? Am I allowed to ask for 10 more wishes? No. <laughs> like a genie rule, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, I frankly, I would, I, you know, you, I'm, I'm not experienced in the genie wishes. I think the one wish that I would grant to Michigan would be to stop thinking about the externalities and just do it. Mm. Just break the rules, create the companies, don't worry about it. Is there enough capital? Is there enough of that? Don't worry. Just go make, build the great companies. Everything else will follow. And with that, I want to thank you for your time. This was great. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that was Jason Mendelson, co-founder and managing director at Foundry Group. I really hope you liked the episode and I really hope you picked up a few interesting insights into the Michigan, more specifically Ann Arbor, Detroit startup ecosystem. As always, thank you, the listeners, for listening to Michigan Makers. We are so appreciative of your support. If you want to check out more of our content, feel free to visit our website and Facebook page linked below. 
So that special surprise I referenced at the beginning of this episode, it's Jason's new song. That's right, he also makes music. Some pretty good music too. Check it out. (laughs) 